Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of a son given and a savior to be sacrificed. What king ever abandoned his throne for his people? What king ever died for the worst of mankind? God took on human flesh, but he emptied himself not of his deity, but of his glory. And he humbled himself and was obedient to the death of the cross. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Isaiah chapter 9 presented quite the prophecy for the significance of Christmas. Jesus would later claim to be the Messiah, the Christ, the child born into the house of David, the son given by God to be the long-expected king. And though the first advent of Jesus established his identity, it didn't begin his reign, however. But coming up, as Pastor Xavier marvels at God's gift to us, he urges we look forward to prophecy yet to be fulfilled at his second coming. Let's listen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And the message is entitled, Jesus, God's Son, and Gift. Something that is um, really uncomprehendable to us to its full end and yet absolutely truth in every way whatsoever. And so Isaiah the prophet in our text here gives to us three things regarding the Messiah that were prophetic. He says, 9, verse 6 through 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so Isaiah gives to us three things that are so incredibly from the prophetic standpoint because, as you know, prophecy is speaking forward something that hasn't happened yet and absolutely guaranteeing that it will happen exactly as it's declared. And when it happens, it can be confirmed and verified by the very event itself that was predicted hundreds, sometimes thousands of years before its time. Here he gives us three things, the mystery of his birth, the beginning of verse 6, second, the character of his kingdom in verse 7, and then you have the nature of his office there at the end of verse 6 there. Notice the prophet Isaiah here prophesied, for unto us a child is born. The proclamation announced the birth of a child focusing on his humanity of birth. The particular statement describes the normal process that God would use to accomplish this mystery. Everyone's familiar with the normal birth of a child after nine months. The particular statement describes this normal process, and the people notice to whom it is addressed to would be the Jews. God chose the nation of Israel to represent him and to speak through and to direct and guide to prepare 
to be the instrument for the Messiah to come. The pronoun us speaks of this Jewish nation. But at the same time, the pronoun us also encompasses the human race because way back in Genesis 12, 3, God said, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So God, in his extreme misunderstood love from the worldly perspective, but very clear to the believer, in his loving compassion, he always included all of fallen mankind. But he began with a nation, and he tried to use that nation to give a picture and a representation of his love and grace, but they failed to a great extent taking that badge as self-righteousness rather than to proclaim the righteousness of God that he would give to others if they trusted him. And the phrase for unto us refers to our good or advantage that would come to us, not to his own person, not only to Isaiah. And certainly it isn't for the good of God. Because if you know that, what could God gain from me? What good could he gain from you? It's all one-sided at this point. So Jewish and Gentile sinners, and that's the way God saw the world in the Old Testament, two categories. In the New Testament, you have Jew, Gentile, the church of God, which includes Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. And that's the way God looks at the world. God doesn't look at the world as black, white, brown, yellow, red. He doesn't look at the world as rich, poor. Those are all uh, classifications that man uses to manipulate man to get his plan done, whatever it is that that man is using. That, that's what we do. We pit people against one another. We divide people in categories. But God looks upon the human race as fallen and in need of salvation. For this reason, we have this text that gives us a great Savior, Jesus Christ. The promise regarding the birth of this child was not new. It was all throughout the Old Testament. It was first given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. And I've told you often that the woman has no um, seed in herself. She has the egg. It's the man that provides the seed. And the two come together. And all of a sudden, there's another human being that's made incredibly. Micah said it would be in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Malachi spoke of his first and his second coming. So this prophetic aspect, this particular here, is nothing new. It's all over the Old Testament and fulfilling the new. But Isaiah, the prophet, next prophesied, unto us a son is given. And here the proclamation focuses on, on the divinity of the child, not only human but divine. The only begotten son of the father. Uh, the son of his love, if you look at John 3.16. The combined statement describes the person of the mystery here. He's human and yet divine at the same time. Now, you and I understand each other to be human, but none of us believe we're divine, though some would teach such things under philosophy and cultic practices. But the fact that you are going to eventually die proves that you're not divine. You are a created creature. You did not just happen to come to be by some accident of man, but God created you after his image, after his likeness. You have a body, soul, and spirit. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are an inferior trinity. The body will go back to the ground. My soul deals with the aspect of my intellect, my emotion, and my will. And the spirit is the real me. 
Once I'm born again, my spirit's alive. I worship God. The plural pronoun us is also, again, dealing with both Jewish and Gentile. The promise of divinity of this child, again, is found throughout the Old Testament. Each lamb was to be slain, and the blood, the blood was a token to be put on the horns of the altar for an atonement, a covering. Every animal sacrifice pictured the true Lamb of God to come. In John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. The one to fulfill all things, the true atonement of that blood, all other blood of animals that began in Genesis 3.21 was prophetic of Jesus Christ. It was just a covering. While the New Testament is at one minute, it made you one with God. It made you whiter than snow if you called upon him. It cleansed you from all sin. And if you know anything about the color red, it is the hardest color to paint over. You need three or four coats, and you better have a good primer underneath it. One coat of the blood of Jesus Christ will make you whiter than snow. Regardless of whatever's happened in your life, regardless of whatever you've committed, for he is the sin bearer of the world. Isaiah the prophet prophesied also about the Messiah to come that one day he would fulfill this exact prophecy, both human and divine. Matthew declared the fulfillment of this child and identified his name as Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. Emmanuel, God with us. A baby that was nine months in the womb of Mary and then he came forth. And he grew up like anybody else, and yet he was God in the flesh. The process of God becoming man is given to us in many portions of Scripture. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. And then in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God took on human flesh. Paul the Apostle describes it for us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. This says, being in the form of God. He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but he emptied himself, what's called the kenosis. He emptied himself not of his deity, but of his glory. And he took on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself and was obedient to the death of the cross. And for that reason... A name has been given to him above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right now, he initiates his love that people would bow willfully by his grace and his love to acknowledge what he's done for them. When he returns the second time, it will not be voluntarily. It will be forceful. It will be for judgment. You as parents know that when you give your child a chance to repent or to confess or to admit whatever they've done, that you will be merciful and more lenient. But if you know what he's done, he still tries to cover it up, and you have to force that truth upon him, the punishment is much more severe. So to us, we are a teacher to ourselves, the lesser to the greater. If we function that way, how much more God, who is purer than the heavens, who cannot look upon sin with any sense of condonance. And every judgment he makes will be absolutely just because he cannot violate his holiness. You know, the chance of probability with prophecy increases with each condition in a prophecy. One prophecy with just four factors 
would make it to be one in 90 billion, 823 million, 680,000 to one. <laughs> Just one prophecy, four factors. You take the average prophecy, six to seven factors. Do you think it was coincidence that Jesus was born the way he was, lived the way he did, died the way he did, and rose from the dead, and we're just going to write it off as coincidence? Or that he was really, really lucky? <laughs> Many of those prophecies while he was still hanging on the cross. Now, if he fulfilled over 300 in his first coming, what would possess you or I to believe that he's not going to fulfill the rest of them, including the second coming? You know God can't lie, right? You and I can and do, <laughs> but not him. He's a man of his word. There have been always, there has always been those who believe that Jesus is a mere man and they're willing to go along that he's a carpenter, a good carpenter, the son of Mary. But uh, they have a difficult time that he is God. Many of them even um, step out of their league and say, well, it never says that in the Bible. Well, that's a complete lie. It's all over the place. Anybody who tells you non-truths that are so insulting to the word of God tells you one thing. They have never read the word of God. What they're doing is repeating the same lie that's been told to them without looking it up themselves. And our society is good for that. You see, there's been a process in our entire nation for the past 60-some years or so to dummy down American and critical thinking. And so people are being taught, and they have been indoctrinated to be quacking ducks and just to repeat things and to believe anything. Jesus wants you to think clearly. He challenges you to search the scriptures to find out if he is who he said he is. He wants you to look, to think, to examine the scriptures. And if you do that honestly, he will show you who he is. And you will have to make that evaluation all on your own, not because someone else says this. The truth of the matter is that if Jesus is uh, not God, he can't be good, he can't be moral, he can't be ethical, he has to be an imposter and the greatest liar. Listen to um, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, believed and received up the glory. Right here he's just described again Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 through 11. God was in heaven. He emptied his throne. He divested himself. He came down, served, washed feet, died, rose from the dead. He returned up to his glory, sitting at the right hand of the Father. What king ever abandoned his throne for his people? What king ever died for the worst of mankind? And what king ever raised himself from the dead? Buddha still in the grave. Krishna. Gandhi and Allah is not Jesus. He's not our God of the Bible. Don't confuse them. You see, the message of God's good news is the gospel that is an invitation to all of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't know Jesus Christ this evening, he's addressing you. 
He wants to talk to you directly. He wants to make himself known to you. He gave himself a ransom for you. He um, came to die for you. He became sin for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he paid that price for us, the indescribable gift of God to us in 2 Corinthians 9.15. There's no words or price to put on him. The mystery to be saved is revealed and resolved by the Holy Spirit of God. As um, he offers it to us by grace through faith in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Though it wasn't cheap, he offers it to us simply if we believe what he did for us. No amount of work, no amount of money can merit it. But if we believe the revelation of God that he became sin for me and that he paid the price for my sin, that he is able to forgive me my sin and to give me eternal life, and I call upon his name, he will do exactly that. And he's done it in such a way by grace through faith that no one can ever boast. No one can ever say, I deserved heaven more than that person. I was able to, you know, uh, get in on my own. Nothing. No one can ever say that. The plan of salvation is summed up at the cross where Jesus has two thieves crucified with him. Neither one of them deserve heaven. They both deserve hell. One chose to go to heaven. The other one chose to go to hell. There you have the gospel. And that is what has been going on for 2,000 years. People have been choosing to go to heaven or to hell if they believe who Jesus is. The one who chose to go to heaven said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. That man made the most important choice of his life because <laughs> it affected his eternity. The mystery of his birth is revealed by God. You see, no man could have come up with this. No man could know this that Isaiah is saying. God revealed this to Isaiah. But notice, second, we have the character of his kingdom in verse 6 there and 7. Uh, Isaiah prophesied the government would be upon his shoulders. The suffering Messiah would be uh, in total control, even though things seemed to be out of his control. Specifics of the government being upon his shoulder Symbolic here of magistrate who had a rod or a key laid upon their shoulders representing honor and majesty and honor and authority over their task to govern. The decree to have a census by Caesar was God's doing in Luke chapter 2. God's in control. I don't know where you are or what's going on in your life, but you may be going through a very difficult time, maybe in a marriage, maybe with your children. Maybe there's an illness, whatever it may be. But God's not ignorant to it. God will use that to draw you to himself. So whether you are going through something or whether you are looking to the best of days, either way, God is here to reveal himself of your need of him. Because without the forgiveness of sins, without handling that debt before we leave, before I give up my last breath, I'm in a very difficult situation if I die in my sin. While you're alive, you have great opportunity. The line you have not crossed. You give up your last breath, then you've crossed that line, and now salvation is impossible. And so if you don't know Jesus, he's speaking to you very, very directly, I guarantee you. 
Jesus spoke in the synagogue in Luke 4, as you know, and after he picked up the, they handed him the book of Isaiah, he quoted from there the first coming. He closed it in the middle of the verse, handed it back, said, in your hearing, these things are fulfilled. They tried to throw him over the cliff. He just walked right through because God was in control. How often they try to destroy Jesus or take him, they didn't. God's in control. The triumphal entry of Zechariah 9.9 and Matthew 21 and Luke also 19 as he came in to, as a triumphal Messiah. But really, it didn't seem to be according to man's perspective because a few days later, the people that were cheering him were yelling, crucify him. Men or women are very fickle. If uh, they get what they want and people are giving them what they want, oh, they cheer them on, they vote them in, they just give them a hug, but you just have them deny them what they want, and all of a sudden they say, crucify him. <laughs> and these are the individuals that Jesus died for, people like you and I. That's why his love is so different than our love. The rest, the trial, the sentence, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all was under God's control, every bit of it. The reigning Messiah rules in the heart of his people. If you're born again, you're part of the church, so he rules over your life. You submit to him willfully. He doesn't force you in any way. Even as a Christian, you have a free will to do as you will. And yet in submission to him, I find the greatest happiness and joy and the greatest fulfillment and the greatest peace. Because once we've come to know Jesus Christ, we know too much. You know, as you grew up as a child, when you were in your father's home and your mom, when you were obedient and things were cool, everybody was happy, peaceful, joking around. But if you were in trouble and you did things that you weren't supposed to, even if your parents didn't know, you knew. And you were, <laughs> that's what sin does, that's what guilt does. It destroys our peace, it destroys our ability to enjoy life. And that's why Jesus came, to be able to remove that from us so that we can live abundantly. And so Jesus, as reigning Messiah, doesn't force himself upon anybody. He's a perfect gentleman. One day he will rule in the kingdom age when he comes with his bride and it sets up. But right now we're in the age of grace. He's calling people out to himself. But notice also Isaiah here prophesied of the increase of his government and peace there would be no end. So his government, unlike man's, will be eternal. Every empire of the world has come to an end. Rome reigned long, probably the longest of all. And yet, it fell apart from within. His kingdom will never end. God told Abraham at his calling, that um, again he would bless all the families of the earth. That doesn't happen automatically. It happens by choice if you believe God's revelation and you call upon him as I've been saying. And God chose to rule over Israel as a nation and some proselyted in being Gentile, but, but not many. Then God birthed the church. Jew and Gentile one in Christ Jesus as they believe the gospel and call upon his name. God will ultimately rule in the kingdom age, but he doesn't force anybody. It's always a choice. Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating how the gift of God's Son is one that requires us to receive by grace. 
important simple truths he draws from the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9. And you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can also request your own CD copy of today's holiday study from the Old Testament book of Isaiah called Jesus, God's Son and Gift. They're available upon request for just $4. Now the title to ask for once again is Jesus, God's Son and Gift. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. Have you noticed the Christmas rush doesn't bear any resemblance to the announcement of the angel to the shepherds on earth, peace, goodwill toward men? Join us next time as Pastor Xavier Reese delivers the simple truths of the Prince of Peace. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com